Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome into the latest Gators Online podcast. Zach Albaverde and Nick Del Torre coming to you live from Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Where the the menu tonight is crow. That's what I was about to say, Nick. We've got some crow to eat on this show. And we've got an SEC opener to preview, but Nick's been eating his crow all week. He's been eating his crow since Saturday night when he had to write his five thoughts. I really have not faced the music yet, Nick. So uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this now, uh, the handle is at Zach Albaverde on Twitter. Uh, if you're on the message board, we can start a whole new thread. Zach has yet to eat his crow uh, from our incorrect predictions last week. Maybe. I've been eating crow all week. I'm, I'm full. Maybe. Fans have not forced me to eat my crow because instead of when they've gone to at me, they've seen all the great videos I got from Saturday night. Yeah. They gave me my first meal. So maybe they've just spared me. They they, they directed it all towards you, Nicholas. Oh, all right. We're switching spots. I'll be down in the field this <laughs> against Kentucky <laughs> and you'll be up top. Um, but obviously, if you guys aren't catching our drift, we were both wrong. With our uh, week one prediction in Florida's season opener, the Gators upset, if you want to call it that now. Um, I think definitely an upset. Uh, the number seven uh, team in the nation at the time, 29-26, uh, a back-and-forth game, a thriller in the swamp, the 10th largest crowd in school history, and just an incredible night, Nick. Um, I think... Definitely going into it, 
you know, we we heard from the players and obviously heard from Billy leading up to that game, but players talked about that this was their opportunity to show that they are a different team. That's kind of what I wrote about in my preview, and I think they showed that on Saturday night. And, uh, I mean, they've been saying it all offseason, and we just didn't believe them. <laughs> um, almost like a doubting Thomas. Like, hey, I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. And, and we've seen it now, Zach. We've seen it. Um, Florida, despite, you know, not having depth at defensive tackle, which we pointed out, despite not having uh, a great wide receiver room, which we had pointed out, leaned on their running attack, um, was able to run at will against Utah, leaned on uh, – Anthony Richardson, I, I heard Superman wears Anthony Richardson pajamas, <laughs> um, and and they found success. And, and Florida was able to get stops in the red zone, which Billy Napier pointed out as being the difference in the game. And when I look at Florida's defense, where they struggled was covering tight ends or slot guys with, with Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie, um, and then stopping the run. But when you get down to that red area, now you've got nine guys on the line, yep. so it's a little harder to run up the middle. And there's less space down there. So the two areas where Florida um, struggled with or where Utah found success, those two things are harder to do in the red zone. So that me and, and I still have questions about those two areas for Florida this year. But yes. if you get down to the red zone, you get down to pay dirt, the, the two areas where they're weak, you, it, the smallness of the field in that area almost negates uh, Florida's deficiencies in those two areas. Yes. And uh, it, it's crazy. We learned a lot about this team. Um and saw, I think, a lot of the improvement that the staff has made. Uh, we'll really kind of dig into it this first segment. In the second segment, we'll be joined by Nick Roosh from KSR to get his thoughts on this in the on the Kentucky Wildcats and what they're going to be bringing to the Swamp on Saturday night. And then in the final segment, Nick and I will give our predictions for the game. And um, if you're betting, just uh, <laughs> apparently bet whatever we yeah. say to do. Bet the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's another uh, another one-score game potentially in the Swamp. That's what the line is looking like. And uh, we found out a stat that I wasn't aware of, um, that with that win, Coach Nape is now 17-3 and in one-score games as a head coach, including 12 straight, 12 in a row. Uh, and it's even more impressive, uh, and I think when you, you know, look at his predecessor, and where he was in terms of one-score games on his way out at Florida had lost eight in a row as Nick looked up. And um, so think about where that team was, um, just their psyche and, and what that had done, losing so many one-score games and just kind of having a losing streak like that. And to now, with a new staff, a new regime, come out in their first game and knock off a top-10 team and actually pull it out in a one-score game, um, I mean, that – that was, I think, impressive, Nick, and it does a lot to, I think, their confidence. It kind of gives them that boost. But so much that we learned in terms of, um, you know, where this team's strengths are, and obviously everybody was ready to see the debut of uh, Anthony Richardson in this new offense and and making his first career start, Nick. And I think he he exceeded expectations in some ways uh, with the way that he played. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> I think the people, Gator fans and the people close to the program, knew what the potential was, even if Billy Napier was trying to hamper the expectations a little bit. And it's, you know, he's completed 38 career passes and uh, the greats at Florida complete that in a game. I don't know that he'll ever throw 38 pass attempts in a game. Yeah. Um, 
but he's going to run the football whenever he wants. We saw him slide, so shout out to Kevin O'Sullivan and uh, Chuck Duralman for teaching Anthony Richardson how to slide <laughs> uh, like a real baseball player. Um, nice slide. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be paramount to keep him healthy, but when Anthony Richardson is healthy and on the field, he gives the Gators a chance every single Saturday, and I think we saw that. Yeah, and look, you know, you knew the skill set, I think, coming into it, but to see it on display, um, we saw how he had improved his throwing motion, but just that that big play potential that he possesses and how really he can make the unannounced plays. And, you know, uh, when, when things break down, when the pocket collapses, the way that he was able to, uh, you know, and credit to the offensive line because they, they had a phenomenal game, obviously definitely in run blocking. And for the most part, they gave him time to throw and kept a pretty clean pocket. He only had four quarterback hurries in the game, but when he had to hurry, um, he was incredible. Uh, and, and I think probably one of the, the the most important plays is that fourth down that he converted on the game-winning drive. Um, you know, he drops back on a passing play and has pressure coming from both sides and, is, and, and finds a way to evade it, bounce outside and keep that drive alive. And, uh, a lot that happened right for Florida in order for them to get to the end zone. I mean, Trevor Etienne falling on top of that fumble, um, you know, leading up to them getting into the red zone. And then obviously um, Anthony f- finishes it off with his uh, third touchdown of the night, uh, Nick. But it wasn't over. Utah answered right back in, in what was really a back and forth second half and fourth quarter. Uh, ben Tro Miller drops, you know, what would have been a, a game clinching pick. But um, allowed Amari Burney to get a little bit of trash talk to his uh, teammate and and set up what ended up being um, probably one of the most epic finishes in Swamp history. And I think with the way um, the crowd was, with obviously the game and and how incredible Anthony's performance was, he obviously had the Heisman moment on the two point play, and then you cap it off with Amari Burney calling game in the end zone with that diving interception. Um, you know, we started a thread about it on our on our board, Nick, on Gators Online. But in terms of best games in the swamp uh, in school history, I mean, that's definitely top 10. And in terms of the significance of it, we'll find out in years to come. But um, it could prove to be pretty uh, significant down the road. Yeah. And <clears throat> I wanted to give a shout out to um, Florida fans. Um, I've been I was at. Uh, the cock block, Jarvis Moss blocking, and that was probably the best finish <clears throat> at a game because I think that was like as the clock ticked to zero. Yeah. And that was the loudest single moment. Um, I was at Tebow's senior day. Uh, that place was loud the entire time. I mean, Aaron Hernandez scored a touchdown and kicked the ball uh, almost out of the stadium. Um, but that environment Saturday with 90,000, and if you had a ticket and didn't show up, <laughs> to not make it 90,800, um, oh. <laughs> 90,799. That was a really, really cool environment. And I think I talked about it kind of all week, how excited I was looking forward to uh, what I thought was going to be a great environment. But um, the fans, including the student section, I'm always hard on the students for showing up late, leaving early. They were there in their seats on time. That place was electric. It was like a living, breathing entity um <laughs> on saturday night so shout out to the florida fans and y'all had so much fun last week you're doing it again the swamp is sold out for kentucky that's three straight home sellouts going back to the fsu game last year um the lsu game is sold out later in the year 
Um, and and I don't think Florida fans have forgotten the scenes in Lexington last year. Mm. Now, listen, you're not going to get on the field at Ben Hill River Stadium. Florida's not going to allow you to do that. Um, but I think there's some players and definitely some fans that remember what it looked like last year in Lexington uh, when they rushed the field, and and uh, I think there's some payback to be served. And then shout out to Billy for the video that he made this week, uh, kind of looking back on some of the the epic moments mm-hmm. in um, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium history with the aerial shot of the swamp on um, Saturday night. I think you you located who took that shot. Yes. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but um, on Instagram it's called My Aerial Vision. I think. Okay, um, and Billy Long made a really cool video. Shout out to Billy Long 07 on Twitter. Um, just reliving some of the best moments and including this one in it. And, uh, you know, some of the games he included, uh, Florida FSU 97, the cock block that Nick mentioned, the two Tennessee games uh, from 15 and 17, uh, Florida LSU, the Brad Stewart pick six, and then this game. Um, You know, I think for me, Nick, Florida FSU is always going to be number one. It's going to be hard to top that, especially when you spoil – uh, an opportunity for your rivals to win a national championship. I think the cock block, you know, you can make an argument that deserves to be number one. It might always be because of what it meant in terms of winning a national championship. And, you know, Florida, Tennessee is up there for me. Uh, Florida LSU is up there for me, but you know, those were also, those are also games that happened in eras where ended up being not that significant, you know, in, in the long run. So we'll, we'll figure out where this Utah games, but if Florida ends up, becoming the program that it that's you know aspiring to be under Billy, this could be kind of the start of that. And um from that standpoint, you know, I, I think it's one of the top five for me that I've experienced. Um, you know, there's been some great games obviously throughout the nineties and then even even before my time. But uh when you consider that it was the tenth largest crowd, um, you know, the way that the game played out and obviously the finish there at the end, um it was incredible, and obviously the way for the Napier to kick off. Yeah, that was my 50. I did the math before. Um, I was trying to see if I was coming up on any milestones and then realized that they've I've already passed them all. Um, <laughs> that was my 57th game in the Swamp working, and that was the best environment, hands down, uh, of the 57 games that, that I've worked. What would you say would be the closest comparison? Um, I think Auburn um, – I think Alabama, Alabama and Auburn, um, the Auburn game when P Ryan, um, had the long, the long touchdown run to let Gus Malzahn know that, might have been the loudest. In, that he was indeed SEC fast. <laughs> um, and then, and then the Alabama, Alabama game last year. But I think, see, I other think than, other than a short period of time. So like Florida, Utah kind of got Florida, the Ben Hill Griffin stadium out of the game for like maybe five minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, you get the fumble from Montreal Johnson, they run down and score and then your offense is on the field, so now you're quiet again. So, like, there was a, a period of time where the the stadium was deflated because of a turnover that immediately turned into a touchdown. And then, well, our offense is on the field, so we can't be loud now. Yeah. So there was a, a, a short period of time early in the game where I'm like, dang, they already got this awesome <laughs> crowd out of it. This could go bad. And then Florida goes right down, scores. Yeah. Um, and then it's a back-and-forth game from there. Um, with the crowd going absolutely insane when Florida scores right before halftime to take a lead into halftime. And then from there, there was no sitting down. Uh, there was no thinking about, man, I'm going to lose my voice. It was just full throat the rest of the game. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's impressive that, like, you know, now they've come out now. You mentioned that they're they're going to have another sellout. Um, I just think that this this sets the stage really 
for a special start for Florida to kind of kick off the 2022 season. Um, Anthony Richardson obviously got got recognized there. Um, SEC Offensive Player of the Week, uh, Davey O'Brien, um, Quarterback of the Week, and uh, got a lot of special moments there for Florida to to open the season. I I found a new pen. For my uh, for my profile, Nick, a new pin tweet. Um, I had Brad Stewart's pick six up there since 2018. I hadn't gotten a a moment or something that was worth taking it down. And another number two making a a, a game clinching interception finally knocked it off. Um, Illuminati with the number twos. But see, like that's that to me is like um, like you mentioned Alabama and then even Auburn, like. Obviously, the Alabama game, Florida didn't win, and then Auburn, you didn't you didn't get like a end of game finish like you did with Tennessee or you did with LSU. Um, it was interesting, you know. With this, you you check so many boxes, um, and I thought, you know, obviously I put that Bernie interception as my new pin tweet and keep it there for until something better happens that I get video of. But I thought, like, hey, that might be the video that I that gets the most views from that game. And then I also got video of Richardson's two-point um, pump fake play. Pirouette. And I thought, okay, that might be the video that gets the most views from this game. Tom Petty, baby. Because ESPN shared it. Um, it, like, was all over their socials, the two-point play. I'm like, this thing is going to go crazy. I think I ended up doing, like, 300000 or something. But, man, I got my first million on a video, and it was the won't back down rendition uh five years later nick still moving the needle um and and i think just being able to capture that for the first time since obviously last year and seeing it for uh you know ninety thousand seven hundred and ninety nine people singing that thing uh it did numbers on twitter shout out to sec network for sharing it got me uh, got me over the hump and um i think it speaks to uh kind of the atmosphere that we got to see saturday night yeah it was really special um, don't know if they'll top it, but it, listen now. Now it's not just uh, some school from Utah showing up. You've got a no. you've got a rivalry game, and, and what, it's it's so funny. I keep calling it a rivalry game. It is a rivalry because it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Mark Lately. Stoops. Mark Stoops has beat Florida more times than the six coaches ahead of him did in the previous thirty-seven <laughs> years, and he's done the last four. So like now, yeah, now there's some actual bad feelings. Going into this game. Well, and then, like you mentioned, they rushed the field on those boys. So there's there's extra motivation going into this. Those guys aren't going to say it at the podium. But um, we're going to jump to this first break. We'll come back on the other side and learn some more about the Kentucky Wildcats right here from Spurs Gridiron Grill. Hi, Steve Spurrier here. You know, making a reservation at my restaurant is easier than a Saturday afternoon homecoming game against Vandy. You don't have to call or email. Just go to Spurriers.com, hit the reservation button, pick a date, number of guests, and a time. It's so simple, I can do it. In fact, I just did. Maybe I'll see you tonight. Welcome back into the Gators Online Podcast. We're now joined by our guest of the week, Nick Roush from KSR, and he's uh, getting ready to head to Gainesville for this SEC opener between the Gators and Wildcats. Nick, appreciate you joining us, man. How's it going? Happy to be chatting with you all. 
This week, it's a, it's an exciting start to the season, opening up SEC play with a top 25 matchup. And I just hope my last – this trip to Gainesville is as good as the last one I made. So um, <laughs> I, I'm sure your listeners have, have different memories of it, but it, it worked out pretty well for Kentucky uh, four years ago. Now, I want to get into Will Levis because uh, I, I think the devil works hard. Chris Jenner works harder. Whoever is in charge of Will's marketing – is the hardest working person in America. Uh, how you can turn eating banana peels uh, and putting mayonnaise into coffee into social media fame? I, I need. I need. I don't know if I can afford them, but I need. Nick, I need Will's marketing team. Um, who's behind? Just the behind the scenes of, of him going viral. It, the thing is, is it, it might seem like it was some articulated plan, but I think he's just a twenty-year-old who saw. Goofy stuff on TikTok and decided to do it himself, you know, and that's really is uh, he's kind of like the, the with all of the name, image, and likeness stuff that's become so popular. His personality was really built for it, uh-huh. and especially at a place like Kentucky, where there's been uh, Mark Stoops has shown that there is a hunger for football, and for the longest time, any sort of success was defined by Kentucky football quarterbacks. and. Mark Stoops did it without any quarterback. So the fact that this guy came in, did the goofy stuff to get our attention, but then he had the play to back it up, really endeared himself quickly to Kentucky fans. And now uh, he hasn't done any of the goofy stuff in a while, but he just got a, a an endorsement from a local uh, soda, L81. It's kind of like a ginger ale. It's been around for a long time. I'm almost certain that there's going to be some commercial with him putting that something weird in that stuff. So I, I, I can see it coming a mile away. Put some soy sauce into ginger ale and like, hey, this tastes like uh, tastes like Coke now. <laughs> now, we've been hearing a lot about Will. Um, you know, heard from uh, Billy this week and kind of got his thoughts about him. He called him one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. There's been so much um, hype for Anthony Richardson going into the year that we've kind of dealt with in Gainesville. What's it been like in Lexington, you know, leading up to this season – with all the hype surrounding Will Levis and, and and some of the first round projections that he's gotten, you know it it's it's unusual uh, for Kentucky fans to enter a season this optimistic because there is and uh, I, I know a lot of people uh, said last year like you know Mark Stoops has the best job because Kentucky fans have low expectations and that's right that's true but. There's a window, right? You only have so long to be able to capitalize on the success. And while there is a sentiment like, you know, Big Blue Nation can be pretty happy with eight or nine wins uh, every few years. But you only have a guy like Will Levis so often. And you can yeah. only beat you, you can only beat a team like Georgia um, with a guy like him at quarterback. So I, the expectations have risen. Um, and, and there's really a, when we look back, we're realistic. We know that getting those 10 win seasons, two in the last four years, it's two of the four in program history. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's incredible. But you'd like to get one trip to Atlanta out of the, the Stoops tenure, right? You'd like to get one. And it feels like the time is now with a lot of guys coming back, including Levis. There's a lot of experience on defense. Um, if you can get Chris Rodriguez back in, 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 onto the field, then you feel like you have enough talented pieces to be able to to have these big wins on the road at Florida, at Tennessee, and, and who knows, maybe knock off Georgia. But Kentucky fans have been dreaming big this offseason, and 
they're really going to start dreaming big if they can pull off a victory in the Swamp this Saturday. Yeah, and I want to ask you about Chris Rodriguez. So <clears throat> Steve Spurrier, as we sit here in his restaurant, used to always uh, needle Phil Fulmer because his guys, Florida, would typically play Tennessee the third or fourth game of the year, and Tennessee would have some guys get DUIs or get in trouble in the offseason, and they would have a very convenient three-game suspension and then play Florida in the fourth, and he always kind of needled him for that. I know that uh, Chris had a DUI, and, and that was going to be handled with the team, but it, it seems like it's not Stoops' decision, and that this is an NCAA thing that, that's kind of carrying on now. So is there even a timeline to get Chris Rodriguez back, and then Kentucky loses another running back? Um, unfortunately, to to an ACL. And what does the Kentucky running game look like coming down to Gainesville? Well, and that, that's been the frustrating part for Mark Stoops is because in their timetable, they believed that they would not only know something, but that it would also be within kind of a three- to four-game window. And I, I know many fans like myself were – like, let's just make it a non-conference suspension. You know, say, <laughs> work your way around so you can be available for that Florida game. Where it, where it actually really hurts now is they were expecting to have Jordan Wright back this week for the game Saturday. He's a Broward County guy from Fort Lauderdale. Has a ton of – he's a havoc outside linebacker. Super senior, team captain that's scored a couple of defensive touchdowns, pick sixes, forced fumbles. And – they just haven't heard back from the NCAA. You'll never believe this, but they're taking their sweet time. <laughs> so, yeah. so now, I mean, I, I asked Mark about him on the on the SEC teleconference, and he had no update Wednesday. It sounds like he's not playing Saturday. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's they've been those guys have been practicing throughout this entire process, but they still don't know anything. So now you're kind of playing with the hand you're dealt, and uh, for the running back room, that means playing a redshirt freshman quite a bit. They've got Cavassier Smoke, who's more of a jitterbug, big playback. Uh, but then they're going to have to lean on Lavelle Wright, who is from Kentucky, powerful guy, but he dealt with a lingering hamstring issue. So the, the running back room is thin. You're also shuffling the deck on the offensive line. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball without Wright, J.J. Weaver is a stud. He's played well in his two games against Florida. He's another Broward County guy that – uh, ended up playing his high school ball back in Louisville. Um, but behind him, it's a true freshman. You know, there, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of depth at those critical areas. So maybe the NCAA gives a call uh, Friday to to alleviate some of the stuff, but most folks are expecting to be without Chris Rodriguez, and that really hurts in the red zone. Mm -hmm. Kentucky, in the first half, they had four red zone trips last weekend. Uh, one of them ended an interception in the end zone on a fourth down. They had kicked two field goals the other two times. Rodriguez is the difference maker there. Whereas on the other side, Anthony Richardson, he's he's a red zone monster. So th that could ultimately be the difference in Saturday's game. Yeah, I want to get into J.J. Weaver. Um, he seems to <laughs> enjoy talking about Florida the week of the Florida game. Uh, he mentioned Kyle Pitts, and Kyle Pitts wasn't going to do anything. Um, and then uh, on your very website uh, this week says, yeah, Anthony Richardson can run, but he can't run this week. And I just want to – Who's telling him like, hey man, let's just let's just say nice <laughs> things about Florida this week. Like, let's just <laughs> or not great. say anything. They're great, or maybe even a next question. Well, the the thing that JJ, uh, this might be the time where he understands it because he, you know, you can say like four or five nice sentences about Anthony Richardson, yeah, but then when you say, well, 
well, when we do this, he's not going to be able to run. It's like, just leave that last bit out, you know, because <laughs> that's the one bit that everybody latches right. on to. I love the fact, though, that he is still like seething to get Kyle Pitts back because Pitts did have a big game back in 2020 against Kentucky. But that was Weaver's first start. And when 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 Weaver was guarding him, he actually did a pretty good job on him. Um, he had a career high tackles, two for loss before he got that ACL injury. And I, I, I wherever JJ ends up going, because I ultimately think that he can become an all SEC caliber type player and go play in the NFL. He, he he wants to get Pitts back real bad, but Weaver is a Kentucky needs him to play like the guy he can be in this game. Um, he isn't Josh Allen, but he can make those kind of plays, right? He can be the difference maker that makes two or three plays. He did it last week. He had a strip sack and a block punt in his first game back. Um, you know, I, I think that first game there is sort of an acclimation period for those pass rushers to go up against new guys. He's the one that that if 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 you can keep him from getting us from he's the guy that can get Anthony Richardson dirty, right? He's the one that has the right size. Kentucky's a little inexperienced on the defensive line. He's the difference maker that that can impact a game. And uh maybe that bulletin board and material might draw a little bit more attention from the Florida offensive line on Saturday. Now you you mentioned offensive line, you, you know, with Kentucky's. Um, how much is that a concern, especially from a pass protection standpoint? Coming into this game, they gave up four sacks um, get to Miami of Ohio. I, I asked um, Stoops about it. He felt like you know some of those were just you know technical issues or communication issues. It wasn't like their guys were just straight up getting beat. But um, how much is that maybe cause for concern heading into this matchup where they'll probably face some better pass rushers from Florida? Yeah, the. Kentucky's original plan was to get Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt, right? They, they whiffed on him. Their former offensive line coach goes to Alabama, and he takes Tyler Steen with him. The second option was hoping that one of the young uh, guys would come along, either DeAndre Buford or David Wallaball. I think they were going to roll out Wallaball and just test him in that first game regardless. Well, he didn't pass the test. Um, Kentucky also, they didn't do a lot to help him. I, I think they really just like, all right, let's show us what you got. Now with Kenneth Horsey, he's been a three-year starter for Kentucky, albeit at guard. He's got one game under his belt at Iowa, against Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. And after giving up a couple early pressures, he really settled in and, and played fine. I, I think this week, if, if some of those were just bad calls, you know, whether it's Will Levis calling a guy to go the wrong way, but other parts, Rich Gangarello, I think, is going to do more to help. What really... What Kentucky has to do, though, to to protect Will Levis is actually run the ball effectively early on. In that second half or against Miami, there was a couple of play actions where just a guy was coming free. He's supposed to bite on the play action, but they knew they didn't have to respect the run. A huge key for Kentucky is to pop a few runs early to make that play action effective because it's such a big part of their offense. Yeah, they just had 50 yards rushing in that first game. Which is crazy. It's the worst rushing performance since 2015 before their ball run started. It was shocking. Now, granted, they've recruited to be a different team, right? Like they got more receivers. They've got Will Levis. They're going to throw it more, but they only post 50 yards. That was that was shocking. It's interesting because I think the reason Stoops has had success is he came in and said, This is our identity. And now we are recruiting towards it. 
We are developing towards it, and we are going to play to that. And Kentucky has always been big, physical. They were going to impose the will on either side of the offensive line. And granted, like you said earlier, they didn't have a quarterback like Will Levis. And if you have that kind of talent, let's start changing things around. But to me, Kentucky has gotten to this point under Stoops because they've recruited and developed and played to an identity of we're going to impose our will. So it's just, to me, it's it's kind of surprising getting a Kentucky team that is like the total opposite of that. Yeah. It's like, well, we, we're missing, but, but you're missing your running backs. Like you're, yeah, you, it's, right, it's hard right. to impose your will in the running game out your top two running backs or, or two of your top three. Well, and I, and I think part of that is that there is a ceiling when you have an identity in that physical running game and hard-nosed defense, I mean, it's apples and oranges. It's a different level, but, like, that's why Nick Saban had to reshape his passing game. And instead yeah. of just being a steamroller and running the football down people's throats, he had to open things up. And Stoops is smart enough to know that they they, they reach a certain point because of that identity they had in the running game. But now you've got to incorporate more of the passing game. You've got to get – some explosive athletes on the edge. So I, uh, um, in, oh, I have some breaking news too. Jordan Wright will be available for games this weekend. Um, so that's, that's significant. That's significant. All right. Breaking news right yeah. here as we yeah. record. And um, that, that's, that's significant. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk a little bit while you get, while you get done with you need to do. But just like you said, you know, obviously not a uh, uh, Will Allen. Is that like a name wrong? Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Obviously not Josh mm-hmm. Allen, but that kind of guy. And um, it'll be interesting to see how Kentucky handles Anthony Richardson. <laughs> last last week, Utah didn't really spy him. Um, yeah. But he does make you play 11 on 11. And at 6'4", 230, he is a guy that uh, you're going to have to uh, figure out a way, like like Nick said, to get him on the ground. And, One. and that's not necessarily the – what a six foot two, 190 pound uh, cornerback or safety will be best at doing. And I'm interested to see, you know, the plan that Stoops has for him as well. I mean, if well, somebody's going to devise a game plan to frustrate Anthony, you know, Stoops would be one of the candidates. And, and the, um, well, you, you want to have your, your edge guys, right? Like those are the most important when you're playing a scrambling quarterback. Um, now, granted, getting that interior pressure is important. But uh, particularly just from a, a scouting perspective, uh, you know, Kentucky just played nickel all last week because they were down an edge. Uh, now they're going to be primary 3-4. That, that's just – it's different. You know, you're going to be – especially if you're doing a zone running attack, you're going the same direction, but it's going to be a different guy there. In that nickel position, they were playing a true freshman a lot. So Alex Afari, this blue-chip kid from Cincinnati, he's going to get some snaps, but you'd rather have more of those go to the super senior. So – um, a positive development on the the UK front as we're talking. Um, as we look at this matchup Saturday, um, what do you feel like are, are some keys to the game for the Wildcats? You've already probably touched on some of them, but in, in your mind to see them coming out with a win, what has to happen? Well, I, the, the the few trends in the Kentucky wins over Florida, which is a weird thing to say. I'm, I'm not accustomed to saying trends in Kentucky wins over Florida, but they it's they've been low scoring affairs, right? Kentucky held four to 16 and 13 points. Uh, the turnover battle was even. Uh, you didn't have the Wildcats shooting themselves on the foot, and, and they forced enough to make plays. Uh, Weaver got a big interception last year at Florida that set up a score to put him up 10. Um, and then once again, it's that 
when you're in scoring territory, maybe not even necessarily the red zone, how do you perform? Ford opponent, you know, Mullen called a punt on like the 37-yard line last year of UKs. Um, the, being able to capitalize in those situations uh, in, in, and also for, for UK to, to score an explosive touchdown or two because getting inside the 20, it, it's difficult to operate uh, for Florida so, or for Kentucky. So um, th- this is one of those weeks where uh, last year, UK was one of the worst teams in all of FBS. I think they ranked 122nd in turnover margin. Um, mm. The defense didn't force enough takeaways. Anthony Richardson, he was clean last week. He didn't get sacked. He didn't he didn't cough the ball up any or turn it over any. Kentucky's got to get some of those. If they can get some of those, keep it a low scoring affair and and put up points when they had when those opportunities present themselves, that they can come away with a win. Um I, I'm I'm also curious. I don't know how much of this is a like I, I'm I'm curious from your end how much it is just a media talking point, but like is there uh, it feels like Napier's really trying to combat the the Nick Saban rat poison this week because Florida has been the talk of college football since that win over Utah. Yeah, I mean Nick wrote about it on Monday, and I I think we got that sense. Um, you know, every time that he's spoken this week since they got ranked number twelve, um, talking well, Zach, about Zach how, I, how bad the tape was. Zach and I predicted Utah to win. Um, I had a Utah win sharpied in back in December. Um, like in my mind, there was no, I think the only people that believed Florida was going to beat Utah were in the building in the bill were in the building and the diehard fans. Um, and then they go out and they beat them and it was such an electric environment. And Anthony Richardson kind of showed what we already knew that he could be. So now everyone's patting them on the back and in his introduction, he came in and was like, that's sloppy. We were lucky to win. We were like, listen, you should be celebrating this because <laughs> you weren't supposed to beat this team. But in his mind, yeah, we were supposed to beat this team. So uh, it, he didn't go full Nick Saban rat poison, but he did make it pretty clear that, hey, we're all not celebrating this the way that you guys are. And, and if I'm him, and I, I know this might not be a, a, a typical play out of the Coach Nate playbook, but because of all that patting on the back and the ranking – and all the momentum, like I'd be drilling Kentucky rushing the field last year to his mm-hmm. team. I'd be having that video playing everywhere in the facility. Um, any type of motivational tactic that you can get from that. How much do you feel like last year's game factors into this one in terms of um, how it affects Kentucky's psyche going into this game and Florida's or, or if none? Well, first and foremost, I think just the series in general, the, the tight, the nature of the tight games is even though the scoreboard it was a huge blowout in 20, it was a game going into halftime before Tony got a punt return touchdown. So I think first and foremost, as much as it, it it's probably there's some sort of a physical, natural block in the subconscious of Kentucky fans that like, oh, it's in Florida, Steve Spurrier runs up the score. They're confident they can win, right? Like there's no sort of, they are showing up to Gainesville expecting to win the football game. I think that plays a role. The only way I think last year's game does play a difference is actually for the most important player on the field for Kentucky, and that's Will Levis. He was terrible last year. Um, I, I remember talking to Liam Cohen after the game, who's now offense coordinator at the Rams, and he was trying to like not be pissed off because the offense was uh, – Grantham – for as much as you want to say about him, he actually did put the Cats in a puzzle last year. That was Levis's worst game. So I do think that 
with that game, with all the offseason hype, like Levis knows this is his time to to really show that he is the player that everybody thinks he can be. So uh, if, if anybody, I, I think this might give some added fuel to, to Kentucky's best player. And then how do you see uh, who gets drafted first in 23, Levis or Richardson? Man, if you would have asked me this in the summer, I would not have batted an eye on Will Levis. I really, I, you know how I see it shaking out, guys? As of right now, I, I still see them being in that, um, like, Stroud, Young, or top five guys. Mm-hmm. And then that next group, it's they're like one or two picks apart between 13 and 15 or something like yeah. that. Like, because you know how NFL teams are. They get so desperate. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're desperate for quarterbacks. So, like, even if you thought they were fringe first-rounders, they're going to they're gonna go much higher than expected. Um, but ultimately, it's just whoever turns the ball over less this year. <laughs> yeah. It seems silly, but, like, they both had their turnover problems in year uh, in year one, kind of getting a lot more reps. Whoever turns it over less this year will be enough to convince uh, some of these scouts, like, okay, we're good. Yeah, and probably whoever turns it over less on Saturday is going to win the game. So, uh, yeah, yeah, always I mean, a key stat. <laughs> it, it's it's funny as much as we do this for a living. Like it's really just whoever turns the ball over less and scores in the red zone is going to win. <laughs> you can say it about almost any game. You're saying the quiet part out loud. They're not going to read our stories now. That <laughs> dis- disregard what Nick just said. That's not it at all. Read all of the analysis all week long. <laughs> Well, listen, Nick, we had fun visiting with you, man. Uh, Really appreciate the time and perspective on Kentucky. Enjoy your trip to Gainesville. Hope you get to enjoy a Friday night out. And um, we will see you in the press box, my friend. Um, Nick Rouch from uh, KSR. And make sure you guys follow along to all their content. And it should be a fun weekend in Gainesville, man. Thanks, guys. It's uh, it's been a blast. Can't wait to see you all down there. Absolutely. We're going to jump to this last break. We'll come back on the other side and wrap up the Gators Online podcast. Football is back. There isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite team than by playing daily fantasy sports with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and pits you against the numbers. Whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual fan looking to add some excitement to the games, Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. It's the best way to have action on the game in states like Alabama, Florida, Texas, Georgia. Kentucky and over 70% of the United States. Prize Picks is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. Download the Prize Picks app or visit prizepicks.com and sign in using the code GATERS to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. So if you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100 back. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. That's free money. Don't forget that Prize Picks app or prizepicks.com and the code GATERS to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your team to the next level this season. Welcome back into the Gators Online podcast. Appreciate Nick Roush from KSR for joining us in the last segment, giving us his thoughts on Kentucky and, um, now we will give you guys our thoughts on this game. We'll touch on a couple other topics here to close out the show. But we got to lead with the Worful Man of the Month for August, Nick. Take take us away. 
Are you ready for this? For the brand. For, for the brand. The sixth Warful Man of the Month hails from Emu Plains, Australia. He has a tremendous mustache uh, after rocking a tremendous mullet last year. The one, the only, Jeremy Crawshaw. Warful Man of the Month. And I thought it was interesting. The last time we talked to Crawshaw was Monday prior to Utah, and he's on the leadership committee. Not normally a spot you would think the punter would be. Um, but Jeremy's got a really cool story. He um, he was 18 years old. And as far as I know, in Australia, it's kind of different where you don't necessarily go to college. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, pick up a trade. You go to a trade <laughs> school. Um, he decided, uh, hey, I don't want to work at what he would call Mackey's, McDonald's <laughs> for us here in America, and got an opportunity to go to Pro Kick Australia, which means he was leaving his parents at 17 years it's old. Crazy. Um, goes to Pro Kick Australia, and he's working a regular job to help pay for things while he's there. Dan Mullen gets a call. And the interesting thing is all the kids at Pro Kick Australia know this, but the call from America comes at like 3 a.m. your time. <laughs> and Dan just offered him a scholarship. So he, uh, he came to Florida, and he's on a full ride here, hoping to make it to the NFL, but it uh, – it shows today that he won that he's on the leadership team, the leadership committee, and then shows today being named the War for May of the Month uh, that he's made the right decision. Yeah. And um, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Model citizen, Nick. Yeah. Well, you got to be. You don't want to get deported. Yeah. Well, and, and obviously giving the, giving the punters a good name. Yeah. Punters are people, too. Punters are leaders, too. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is for the brand. A, a win for the good guys. A win for the movement. And his second time being recognized this week as he was also named uh, and recognized by the team as one of three game changers of the week. Mm -hmm. And um, we also got some uh, another category on this, Nick. Job takers of the week. Mm -hmm. Explain that. Okay. So the, the, <laughs> typically, you know, the team will uh, recognize the offensive players of the week, defensive, defensive. players of the week, and then game the game changers. Um, it was interesting that Florida recognized guys called job takers, and, and a lot of fans, definitely a casual fan, would not recognize the names on the list. Um, but the name of the award, the job takers of the week, definitely raised an eyebrow or two. And uh, Billy Napier explained that to us as these are guys who are on the scout team. Uh, they call them the look team. And they go through every day in practice replicating whoever the opponent is that week. And, and they're going through their plays, and, and they're wearing the jerseys of Will Levis or the jerseys of Cavassier Smoke yeah. and trying to give the guys who will play uh, a good and accurate look and get them ready for Saturday. So these are guys that you might not see on Saturday, or if you do, you see sparingly. But Billy Napier wants to – um, give them the same kind of recognition for getting the team prepared on Saturday. And he calls it job takers because these guys don't necessarily have jobs or they're not on the game plan, but they're doing already what they need to in practice to earn somebody's job, yes. to earn playing time. So he calls them job takers because they don't have one yet, but they might if uh, one of these guys that has a job is slipping. Yeah, and four guys recognized from each side of the ball. Um, Nick wrote about it at Gators Online. Uh, he we mentioned the, the game changers. Um, you know, uh, Crawshaw was one of them, and then on offense, really no surprises there. Anthony Richardson, Osiris Torrance, Ricky Pearsall. We can get into him a little bit. You know, one thing I thought that was interesting 
no surprise with Amari Bernie and Ventro Miller being named two of the defensive players of the week by their own team and staff. Ventro Miller looked great on Saturday, um, made some impressive plays to stop some drives. thought it was interesting, though, that Brenton Cox Jr. named SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week by the league and not named one of the top three um, defensive players of the week by his own mm-hmm. team. Not only that, somebody at his position got recognized as one of the uh, players of the week, Antoine Powell, Ryland Jr. Um, he's added that you know uh, to his last name and uh, eventually got to get the story on that But because um, he came in as Antoine Powell, but he got recognized by the staff as one of the top three players of the week on defense. Uh, he was on there for some key moments. Uh, there were times when both he and Cox were on the field at the same time, but I think that's one thing that going into this matchup and just going forward, Nick kind of alluded to it in the first segment, but that is one area that has to continue to get better is them being able to up the snap count of their rotational players in the front seven because some guys were just gassed at the end of the of, of the first game. Dexter played a ton of snaps. Cox played a ton of snaps. He was so tired. He couldn't even celebrate on the last play of the game where Bernie's pick, everybody else is going crazy, running on the sidelines. He's struggling to get off the field. So there's got to get some more depth uh, developed there. And to see Powell, you know, doing well with his opportunities and getting reps, that was encouraging. But a lot of guys on the defensive line, I think they need to continue to up that snap count. Probably got more out of some guys than maybe we expected. Shout out to Des Watson, 28 yeah. snaps in the game. Yeah. And he and he was in there on some key moments. I mean, what was interesting is that fourth and goal stand, go back and look at the replay. The majority of the players in the game are like rotational players, guys. freshman guys. I mean, I think Ventrell Miller and Trey Dean were one of the few or two of the few uh, starters on the field in that scenario they had a ton of uh, young guys in there, and they made a play on and that if, fourth. If you watch that play, I'll have a story up tonight while you're listening to this. Um, it's Tyreek Sapp that really takes on a double team and, yeah. and creates a lane for Ventrell uh, to meet the running back in the hole before the goal line. Um, so shout out to Tyreek Sapp. He played three technique, five technique, and he played two snaps at nose tackle. Yeah, This is a 260-pound guy who is – just so excited to be on the field and playing this year after being a scout team guy last year um, that Coach Chaos says, hey, big boy, we need you at nose tackle. That's not my position, Coach, but I got you. I'm in there. No problem. You know what was interesting, too? There were times on obvious passing downs where they had four defensive ends on the defensive line, and I I love that. Uh, We're not trying to fool anyone here, Nick. We're coming. <laughs> We're coming. coming. We know you guys aren't running the ball. This is the obvious passing down. We're putting all defensive ends along that defensive line. No tackles in the game. I thought that was um, really smart uh, personnel decision-making by Patrick Toney. Uh, we got to see his debut a- as defensive coordinator. So, um, And I think one key aspect coming out of this game, and we heard kind of Billy address the team afterwards on a great video from Doug. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we learned why the UL fans were mad when Doug left. <laughs> yes. Uh, he put out the first episode for their journey series that we'll get to see this season from the Gators. And just an incredible behind-the-scenes look. Um, 
you know, seeing Billy pregame, postgame addressing his team was pretty cool. And, and then he had a message to his team afterwards that basically said, look, you guys can play football. Like, you've been playing your whole life. That's not what this is about. This is – talent has not been the issue. Um, you control the things that have been holding you back and that have been keeping you from winning these top 10 games. And really, it's because you guys don't know how to play as a team. You guys don't have the chemistry, and it's been lacking. And I think Bernie gave a great example in one of his interviews this week where he said, hey, at the end-of-game situation against Utah – Last year in the defensive huddles, we would have been cussing each other out, and that wasn't happening in this game. And um, I think that's you know pretty encouraging that they got you know off on the right foot to start the season. Yeah, and listen, they while everyone is celebrating, Billy was you know was there being the party pooper for the entire <laughs> Gator Nation, and there are still areas to to fix. And if yeah. we get into our Kentucky preview, I think. I'm less concerned about those areas this week because the areas of concern for me are running defense, and I think it showed up. I said it in our preview. I wrote about it. We've yeah. talked about it ad nauseum. Florida's interior defensive line, like Dan Mullen didn't leave the cupboard bare, but you can't have a 10-person dinner party. There's not enough <laughs> plates to have a 10-person dinner party, but there's some nice plates in the cupboard, <laughs> and, and I think you see that. We had some people asking, Man, Gravon Dexter played a terrible game. I'm like, he played 68 snaps. It's a lot. He starts getting pushed off the ball, uh, pushed off the line in, in the fourth quarter. Why? Because he was playing his 57th yeah. snap to start the fourth Pe quarter. People actually thought that Brenton Cox was mad yeah. on that last play, or like he was like he played 60 plus snaps. No, my man couldn't even walk off the field. He couldn't even celebrate them winning the game. Yeah. So Florida's deficiencies right now are linebackers and coverage, and, and that's just not. Amari Bernie's strength, and it's not Ventura Miller's strength. I told you about, about Brent Keithy. Like, Brent Keithy's going to hurt a bunch of people's feelings this year. That's not just Amari Bernie. Yeah. That guy's going to be an all-Pac-12 tight end, and he's going to be an NFL draft pick. Um, but that's those still are Florida's deficiencies. But like we said earlier at the beginning of the show, when you get into the red zone, the, the smallness of the field negates those. So yeah. for me – Florida's de uh, defensive line depth is going to struggle against the run. Kentucky's not going to run the ball really, uh, really well. Kentucky already had red zone problems on their own against Miami. Not, yeah. not the Canes, <laughs> the up north Miami. Um, so to me, the areas where Kentucky can take advantage and, and has mismatches against Florida, um, that's not what they do well. Kentucky throws the ball well, cool. Like I I'm fine with Florida's pass rush against a, a Kentucky offensive line that's already shifting, yeah. already scrambling after playing again, the Northern Miami. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like Florida secondary. So to me, I think Florida has where Kentucky is strong plays into Florida strengths. Yeah. Where Kentucky doesn't do well. That's where Florida's deficient. So I don't think it's a good matchup for Kentucky this week. Um, I'm sure there's fans just like seething mad right now. They're like, no, Nick was so wrong and so confident last week. I need him to be wrong and confident no. again this week. But um, for me, I, I see Florida being able to to stop what Kentucky does well um, and Kentucky not being able to take advantage of Florida's deficiencies. Yeah, and, I mean, you, you mentioned the concerns with Florida's rush defense over the course of the game, and then you're talking about a team that rushed for 50 yards last yeah. week. So um, there's just not that there. I think the fact that Florida didn't um, – wasn't able to come up with any sacks against Cam Rising. That's something that going into this game, 
Tyreek Sath talked about that they were kind of motivated to uh, try and get the quarterback on the ground. And when you know that he got sacked four times a week before, they're probably, you know, chomping at the bit to get after him. Um, and then obviously on the offensive side, um, you know, you you got to play just a cleaner game. I, I think Anthony's now gotten those first game jitters out of the way. He talked about that post game, just kind of dealing with that and his first home start and everything that was on his plate. Now he's gone out. He's had that fourth quarter moment. Um, you know, Coach Nape has made his heart freeze, as he talked about when he told him, hey, we're about to go for the game winner right here. Um, and now he's had that experience. So from that aspect, um, he should be a lot more comfortable in this game. But they, you know, there's a lot of things that he can do uh, just in terms of his operation that he said could be a lot cleaner. And then they can just play cleaner ball. Um Anthony didn't have any turnovers, but two of their running backs put the ball on the ground. And one was catastrophic, and the second one could have been even worse. That could have ended basically their chance to win the game. So um, not allowing Kentucky to get some short fields or, or shooting themselves in the foot when they get in U.K. territory, that's going to be really key for Florida in this game. But um, honestly, more of the same. You know, have that offensive line go out there and set the tone. Um, you know, this is going to be – another test or I, I guess another measuring stick to see how this rushing attack and Florida's offensive line and, and, and them coming after it with Anthony and, and his dual threat ability, how it measures up against an SEC defensive line an SEC defense and a really, really talented defensive mind in Mark Stoops. You know, he's now had a game to prepare for Anthony Richardson and see what Florida put on tape, see some of the things that they're trying to do schematically. So, um, even though some things are working against Kentucky, despite them getting back uh, Jordan Wright, um, there are some things that Florida has to get right in this game if they're going to come out with the W. But um, as we get to our predictions, Nick, um, hard for me to pick against the Gators this week. I, I had them winning going into the season and after the way that they played in week one and after the showing from Kentucky, um, I'm definitely even more confident in going with Florida. Yeah, it's going to be a sweep for us this week. Um, I'm also going to pick Florida. I remember saying, because before the before Dan Mullen came in and killed the streak um, and, and killed any kind of momentum Florida had against Kentucky, um, I always said, because Kentucky was a, a hot pick every year, and people were, hey, this is the year the streak ends. Yeah. And, and they were always wrong. And I, I kept saying, I will be a year late to picking Kentucky. Like I'm not picking Kentucky until they do it. Um, they've done it now twice in the last four years on this field that they'll play on Saturday four years ago, and then last yeah. year in Lexington. I just think um, – And in 2014, depending on some Kentucky fans that you talk to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think it's just uh, Florida is going to be able to run the ball against Kentucky. I I go back to it. Florida's going to have a chance anytime 15 is on the field. Um, I, I think Florida, like I said before, Kentucky's not going to be able to take advantage of where Florida can be taken advantage of. Um, so for me, it, it's Florida this week. Ricky Pearsall tells me he's going to get in the end zone. Oh, for one, all four of his catches. So he led the Gators in receiving yards, not uh, receptions, but in receiving yards. All four of his catches went for a first down. Reminds me of Carl Moore, who was a first down machine. I think Carl Moore for his career <laughs> might be like 75% of his catches went for a first down. Guy just moved the sticks. He was and uh, from Cali. One of the but, few... Few few players from Cali that have come to Florida um, and have had success. And if you were watching the game, 
on Saturday or you're watching the rewind on YouTube and you're wondering, what is that stick or cane or scepter that's on the sideline? Go to Gators Online and find out what it is. Uh, the name is actually the Baller Baton, and there's a really cool backstory to that. So um, we'll see if uh, Ricky Pearsall can get his hands on it Saturday night in the Swamp. He told me he's planning on it, so um, we're going to find out what happens as the Gators uh, open up SEC play. And because of a sellout crowd, the huge weekend that they had last Saturday, another big night for recruiting. Uh, make sure you guys stay locked with Corey Bender, Donovan Kaiser. They're going to be on top of all the visitors that are going to be in town. You got Keon Keeley, five-star edge uh, from Tampa that's supposed to be in the swamp for an unofficial visit. It was supposed to be an official, Nick, and then he saw how great it was and was like, you know what? Let's just make this unofficial. I'll double back for an OV. Um, so this is big for Florida to get him on campus for that. DJ Lagway, uh, five-star quarterback in the 2024 class. So um, that's just some of the heavy hitters that are expected in town. And if Florida can have another win in SEC play in front of a sold-out crowd, I think that's going to make a really strong impression on all these guys in town. So um, appreciate Nick for joining us from KSR to give us his thoughts this week on this matchup. Uh, Nick and I showed up to eat our crow, and uh, we appreciate oh, you guys. Let him have it. I've, <laughs> I've been getting it from every angle all week. Let him have it. I've just been in the cut. Um, mm. But I showed up. I think uh, I'll feel confident uh, showing up next week with, uh, with my pick and Nick's, and we'll see how the game plays out. And uh, then we'll be back next Thursday to recap it and get you ready for another non-conference game in the Swamp against the Bulls. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Albaverde. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 